Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we bring to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specialized in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Travis. He is the founder and CEO over at Liquid Frameworks. First of all, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure having you. And to get started and kick things off, why don't you just tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, did you go to college? Where are you where are you currently based? And what was your experience as far as, you know, let's start this company up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks in a bunch for having me today, Luis. It's certainly a pleasure to be here and talking to you. And uh, yeah, I can give you a little bit of background on myself. I, I grew up as a developer. I got started in software development, really actually in grade school, believe it or not. Uh, wow. First couple languages that I learned were was uh, basic and Pascal. So I was writing all kinds of software for little local businesses in the town where I grew up and just really, really developed a great passion for it. And Went to college, went to AM uh, down the road from, from Houston here in uh, Old Town Bryan College Station. Ended mm-hmm. up getting a degree in computer science and engineering. And when I got out of college, I went to work in the consulting space, building custom systems for a bunch of different companies and mm-hmm. really gravitated towards the energy space. It's kind of, you can't avoid it here in Houston. It's sort of the hub of energy uh, in, in the United States. So I ended up doing that. And then uh, over a period of several years after that, a long road, Ended up starting Liquid Frameworks and uh, haven't looked back since. That was in 2005. That's awesome. That's really cool. Now, with that being said, right, I, it'd be great if you explain to the audience exactly what is Liquid Frameworks, one pain point or multiple if there are, you know, that, that you're trying to solve with the company. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, it's multiple pain points. So Liquid Frameworks is a software as a service in the quote to cash space for the energy industry. And the pain points that we solve are very specific. So companies in this space, the service providers, the people that are doing service work for large oil companies and energy companies around the world, they tend to be uh, companies that have slow cash flow from a collections perspective. So when they do a job and they need to send out an invoice, a lot of times it can take them a long time to get paid. And that happens because the invoices are very complex. The work they're doing out in the field is very complex, high risk, dangerous. And so those invoices need to be very accurate and they need to be timely in order to get paid quickly. And so what our product suite does is uh, at the top of the list, we help accelerate that cash flow by helping them get their invoices out the door very quickly and very accurately based on what's called a field ticket, which is really a representation to document that represents what was done in the field at the well site or at the refinery site or wherever they're doing their work. And so we solve the problem of uh, cash flow. We saw the problem of high error rates with manual processes, and then also really um, laborious kind of duplicate data entry that you find where you might be going from paper into an electronic invoicing system. And so we're solving all those kind of pain points um, that really directly impact cash flow and help the customer or help our customer uh, improve their financial statements. Right. That's awesome. Now, one of the main things that I like to talk about with people on here is, you know, how, how really do you, and, and it's, it obviously varies per company, right? Like there's, there's very B2C, even though they're still B2B, really they're B2C that, I mean, you know, the, the person that's going to be using them is going to buy them. Whereas there's the software company where even though it's still a B2B company, the person that's going to be using it might not be the one that's making that purchase for that specific piece of software. So how do you approach, you know, I guess sales in, in this perspective, is it very, you know, I guess you can call it old school where you just literally pick up the phone and call these companies. Are you doing, you know, LinkedIn kind of messaging? Uh, 
what is what is the mix of, of you know the, the sales activities yeah that's a great question so you pretty much hit the nail on the head when you were talking about how in our world it's a b2b application that we're selling and so in that case the end user is not the person that we're marketing to it's not a person that's making the purchasing decision or the buying decision so we're marketing our product or our SaaS service to uh, typically it's the CFO could be the VP of finance it's the head of operations it's people in operations and finance and so we first start with marketing campaigns that believe it or not could start on on things as social as things like Facebook and then migrate to LinkedIn and then once we generate leads from that point then they move into a traditional sales cycle that's very direct Mm -hmm. Uh, we have other campaigns that we run as well that might be uh, webinar campaigns. We do an annual event called Connect FX where we bring all our customers and users to uh, to Houston and go through everything that we're going to do in the product in the coming year. But once we move from the marketing effort, the lead gen effort into the sales effort, at that point, it becomes a very direct model where we literally have a team of account executives here that once it's a lead that's established, we literally call them and get in front of our customer. And it's a very uh, personal uh, process where we're walking our potential customer through all the benefits and all the great things that our product can do. Right. So it is more of a, a traditional direct model. And I'm also guessing that the sales cycle is not, you know, your typical software company where I go on, on the website and, and sign up say month to month kind of thing. Like you're, you have longer contracts and things like that. Correct. That's right. So it's not a month to month thing. The reason for that is that when you're putting in this kind of a product, it really cuts across a lot of different departments, a lot right. of different aspects of the business. And so you're dealing with their sales team to do quoting, and then you're dealing with their pricing team to do contracts management. And then from there, the ops team doing field ticketing and electronic forms and the accounting team with finance and uh, the invoicing side of things, uh, the asset management side of things. So all those things take time to get in place. And it's, it's not necessarily something that you go in and set up in a period of a few days it can take a number of weeks to get that in place and get people right. trained up and roll it out. So we find that our customers end up wanting to make a commitment um, that much more than just a few months here and there. I mean, it's typically multi-year engagements or multi-year term contracts that get signed uh, whenever we're rolling out the software to service providers in the industry. Which is a good thing, right? I mean, when you have a software that I can literally just plug and play kind of thing, if I don't like it within the two days that I'm using it or a week, I can just get rid of it and look for the next one. Whereas if I'm, if I'm going with, you know, liquid frameworks, I'm going to go with you guys. And I know once I, I get started, like there's, I mean, there's going, there's going back, but it's going to be a lot of work to undo everything that was done and then find somebody else and redo everything again, because it's going to be a very similar approach unless there are companies that are in that space that, you know, kind of dilute, the services since you guys offer multiple services and they have to go with multiple companies to essentially bring everything together. Yeah, that ends up being a bit of a challenge for our customers. So if you try and take more of a a la carte perspective and more of a cafeteria approach where you pick this for the scheduling component, you pick this for asset management and this for field ticketing, you end up with a huge integration problem where you really got to integrate all those systems technically. And then, it's a bit of a disjointed, not a bit of, it's a very disjointed experience for the end user. So someone in operations who needs to check on how scheduling is going versus they need to see what kind of maybe equipment failure reports have come in from the field. If those are all in different systems, 
it's just a real um, very disjointed process and experience. And we're really geared towards making the experience for the end user seamless and, and feel and look really beautiful at the end of the day. That makes sense. Now to go back on something that you touched on earlier, right? You mentioned that you, you are doing, you know, campaigns on, on say Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff like that. What is the approach aside from obviously, like you said, webinars was one of those things that you're doing, but how, right. How do you, how do you ensure that the right person is looking at that when, I mean, on LinkedIn, you can go and say, I'm going to target, you know, the, the head of operations or the CFO of this company in our experience, we've noticed that when you are doing those sorts of things, you know, obviously this is very, very subjective where a click for $20 might seem expensive, but when you're a multi-million dollar company, you can, you can spend that and, and say, you know, this is something that we can definitely afford to, to pay for if we're going to be targeting the right people. Um, but when you go on the Facebook approach, what kind of campaigns do you do? Is it very top of the funnel? And, and this is assuming that you might be, involved with some of these decisions, which you're probably not at this point and you have a team that does that for you. Yeah, those are great questions. So you hit it on the, on the head again with the comment about top of the funnel. So Facebook is clearly top of the funnel. It's, it's probably one of the most effective advertising tools out there and it's very, very cost effective as well. But at the same time, you don't necessarily always get to capture the data that you might be looking for. So that's mm-hmm. a very expensive way um, that we sort of start at the top of the funnel, like you're mentioning things like Google AdWords. I mean, that's, that's really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't tend to be something that, that we always start with. We definitely incorporate that into our marketing campaign and the marketing group that I have here certainly has that as a heavy component. LinkedIn mm-hmm. is probably the priciest, but it's really because yeah. you capture all that great data from uh, the person as they've got that form filled out and it's just ready to go for them. Right easy and very fluid experience for them. So um, yeah, we do have a marketing group here. Um, we use external agencies as well to help us out with this. Mm-hmm. So it's a big team effort uh, to yeah. keep the engine going. Uh, you know, for us, I mean, we've got a, we're, we're sort of unique in the sense that we're a very niche focused um, business that focuses on a very specific market and even a very specific sub segment of that market. And so we've got a great handle on, exactly who we're going after right. and put together super targeted campaigns um, to the companies that we're looking to acquire as, com- as customers. Was it always like that? You know, no. being, being, no. <laughs> being so niche down and knowing, okay, like you can literally pick out from a mile away, you know, is this person going to be a good fit or not person, but this company going to be a good fit for us or how long did really dialing in who our perfect prospect would be? How long did that take? Yeah, it took a while. So I started this this company back in 2005. So we've been we've been at it for about 15 years now. And I would say the first half of that time period for about the first seven years, um, it was really we were just sort of all over the board with it. Not yeah. until about seven years ago, when we really brought in a world class person to run the sales group and really started bringing in incredible marketing people, mm-hmm. did we really start to formulate our positioning statement? and narrow down the personas that we're going after and get a handle on the market segment and size that best yeah. worked with our product. And once we got a handle on that and really uh, started to identify down to the company level, those accounts, it started to come together and, and really work like a machine. But for the first half of the deal, it, um, it really was trying to gain traction and get momentum with, with really, um, I don't want to say, 
any customer that we could get, but we were, I guess the filter wasn't nearly as granular as it is today. So we, we spent some time, I call it wandering around the desert trying to find ourselves, but uh, we eventually got there uh, and have long since been there for about, I'd say seven, seven and a half years now. Good. Now, this is a question that I've actually never asked um, on the podcast, but somebody asked me for my opinion for a magazine. I'm not sure if you're familiar with SAS Mag. Um, I'm not sure I've seen it, but go ahead. But the question, one of the questions that they, they'd like to be answered is, you know, how do you think the recession uh, that we're currently experiencing, the economic, you know, shifts, downturn, whatever you want to call it, correction, how do you think that's going to exp- uh, affect SaaS companies? And I'd like to, to, to put that question into your perspective, right? And see how do you think it's going to affect and what are some of the things that you potentially would do to kind of offset whatever negative uh, you know, effect that could have? Sure. Absolutely. No, it's a great question. I deal with it a lot, uh, especially on the investor side of things. And for us, what I'd like to make sure people know is that Liquid Frameworks has been around for about 15 years, for over 15 years now. And we've gone through a variety of recessions, market downturns, uh, crashes in the energy space. And we saw 08, we saw 2014, we saw uh, all sorts of different uh, significant crises, events that have taken place, the housing crisis, mortgage crisis, all those things. And in all of those cases, we were able to take those situations and turn them into opportunities. The reason we were able to do that, though, was because of the fact that our product helps companies save money by making sure that they charge for everything accurately and also it improves their cash flow. So those two things, ensuring you charge for everything and getting better cash flow, those things play really nicely into a recession type market. We've not seen situations where we have declined during those downturns. We've actually grown. We may not have grown as much as we have when things are booming, mm-hmm. we still grow nonetheless. And it's simply because our messaging and what reality really is for the customers that use our product, it really is that we can help their cash flow and we can help their error rate and reduce the um, number of unbilled items that they put on their invoices. So we, we really tend to, I don't want to use the word thrive during recessions because that, that's not totally <laughs> accurate. It's we, we tend to do well. We tend to do right. fine in those cases. And, I would say that the, also the thing with, with SaaS companies that sort of helps out is um, the fact that you have some runway, some visibility into your own cash flow right. because it is a service as opposed to the professional license world. So that mm-hmm. helps a lot in getting through uh, those types of situations. Right. So actually very, very similar to what the answer was that I gave, right? When, when you think about it, you know, by no means is a SaaS model bulletproof or immune to, to such a thing, right? And I don't think really a lot of them are really any, but the good thing that you have, as you said, like you have that runway. So most importantly, it is a recurring type of revenue. So, you know, essentially, you know, we're going to have obviously customers that are going to keep us afloat. That's one thing. But one of the other things that I mentioned too was, you know, when, when you're thinking about marketing and, 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 and recession and stuff like that, people tend to pull out, right? So they're, they're spending all this money on advertising. They're spending all this money on marketing and the recession comes and they think, okay, we need to save money. So we're going to pull out of all those things. Well, when you do that, 
you know, suddenly what happens is CPMs, if, you, if you're talking more marketing terms, right, everything starts to drop. So the cost of advertising on Facebook is going to drop. The cost of advertising on Google is going to drop because less people are bidding on your keywords. Uh, LinkedIn is going to drop. Everything's just going to drop. So one of the things that I saw when I was doing a little bit of research on this too was um, if you look back at, I think, 2018, 2008 slash 2009, Amazon actually grew by 28% during that recession, which is great. And, and, and most of that was done through not necessarily pulling back on any sort of advertising, but actually just switching, you know, what kind of messaging they were putting out. Like you said, if we can switch our messaging into how can we actually help you during this time, I think it's super valuable. And not just that, but by removing yourself from the market and, and the top of the mind type of you know, mindset that people are looking at you constantly and stuff like that via whatever, you know, whether it's ads or traditional advertisement, you might actually be hindering yourself by removing yourself from top of mind. And then once things do, you know, become better or, or, or whatever that, you know, term is, they don't even remember who you are or they don't know you exist or they've already have somebody else in mind. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, we try and align not with the sentiment that's going on right now where a lot of people are nervous and pushing a lot of negative sentiment out there, but we're really trying to align with a more positive sentiment that, yeah, it might be challenging right now, but there are things that you can do with your business to get it more efficient that can make it operate in a better way, given the challenges and stresses that are being placed on both the local economies across the country, but also at the macro level. So, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I kind of feel like some of what you're saying is don't don't really get so wrapped up in the hype in the negative sense. Yeah, don't get too worried about it essentially and just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. And that that is that's a great way to say it too, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're just continuing to do what we do. I mean, we've been doing it for fifteen years and as long as we continue to operate on that, I mean, we want to iterate over that plan and make sure that we improve where we see areas mm-hmm. improve. But as long as we continue to execute against what has really worked well and learn from mistakes that we made along the way, then I think businesses will be just fine. Right. Exactly. Now to touch on something that you just brought on, which is mistakes, right? If you could go back either to yourself or to somebody that's currently starting a company or thinking about starting a company, what would you say is your number one tip to kind of, you know, just make sure you keep this in mind as you're going? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about that a lot. It's a great question. I would say that um, hiring out more people earlier and being willing to spend that money earlier in the game, as opposed to trying to spread yourself super thin. I mean, mm. I took for a long time, for many years, I took this, this perspective of, I'm just going to try and take on as much of it as I possibly could. And as a founder, I think we all sort of do that. Yeah. Do some of those things really well, but some of them you don't do really well. And that's why it took us so long to find our way in marketing and in sales. And, until I committed to go out and allocate capital to really, really amazing people in mm-hmm. those particular departments and, and beyond uh, just sales and marketing as well, uh, on the development side as well. Um, it really wasn't until I almost let go of some of those things and yeah. let other people come in and do those things that frankly, at the end of the day, I mean, they're doing better than I could have ever done. I mean, I'm a developer right. of training and experience. So uh, they've, they've come in and just really blow me away with those things. So That's if awesome. I could go back and change that, I definitely would change that because I think it would have changed the traje- trajectory of the company, of the business, and, and certainly would have had a, a steeper curve 
uh, for sure. <laughs> what is the biggest challenge that you've been faced with, you know, since those 15 years since you got started? Biggest challenge, I would say, um, what, what we've built is you could sort of think of it as ERP for the field. And when I say field, I'm talking about for field service. And the biggest challenge we run into is we get this in front of our customers and we're usually displacing paper. So it's not that we're going in and they already have some other SaaS product there. It's that they don't have anything. They literally have paper, they have manual processes, they might have Excel. And so when we put this in front of them, one of the biggest challenges is that our customers see it and they, they come up with all sorts of other great ideas that they want to do and more product features and requirements and modules that they want us to build into the product suite. And we want to do all those things, but it's a real challenge to try to prioritize all those things because I mean, we deal with scarcity just like every other business does and we don't have unlimited resources and developers right. are really hard to really great developers are super hard to find. And so we, uh, end up having to deal with significant prioritization issues to make sure that we're not building something that just a handful of customers want. We want to create stuff that the whole market wants. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's you want to make everybody happy though too. So that's a very difficult thing. I mean, one way I've addressed that is we now have a whole product management team here that owns all of that and does all the competitive analysis and does all the analysis of our customer base to make sure we're building the right thing at the right time uh, into the right places in the product. And, and it's, but it's still, it's still a challenge even with yeah. that team in place. That makes sense. Now to kind of switch the script here and talk a little bit more about the personal, you know, aspect of being an entrepreneur and growing a company. What is one thing that you're not very good at? Gosh, not very good at, um, this, Historically, I've not been very good at let, letting go of technical things. So anything technical, uh, I like to, to keep my hands on that. Uh, I especially like to stay involved in the architecture, um, at least the high-level architecture. And uh, sometimes that can be, that can present challenges just from a scale. You know, I'm only one person. I'm going to do that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, probably not super great at that. Sometimes... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Um, time management, you know, just end up getting so obsessed and focused on certain things and you know, time gets away from you. Mm -hmm. And uh, next thing you know, you know, the, the day is almost over and you're getting into the evening and you know, that can be taxing uh, on, on the personal life too sometimes. How do you deal with, you know, burnout or just having way too much going on, wanting to maybe like, you know, refresh or whatever that may be. Like, what's the, what are some of the hobbies that you partake into to kind of just, you know, offset all the stress from running a business? Yeah, I found that the best outlet, the best vent for that is physical activity. And I'm super into running. I'm super into swimming, uh, super into climbing. So I, I do a lot of climbing. I do a lot of running. Um, I do a lot of indoor running, though. So running on a Peloton tread as opposed to outdoor running. It, it gets pretty hot here in Houston, like probably. Yeah. It's in oh, yeah. But uh, I do a ton of running. I do a ton of uh, lap swimming. And I just find that when I do that, I mean, really engage in some significant cardiovascular work and not just, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I mean, an hour at a time. I feel like when I'm done with that, it's this big cathartic release. And I feel like I experience this almost, almost high at the end of it. Yeah. It lasts for a number of hours. And that, that really gets my mental state in such a better positive place. If I'm just really 
running on burnout for that week uh, right. for a reason, high stress. But that that tends to help a lot um, for me is just like physical exertion. Uh, that yeah. does. <laughs> yeah, I got to agree with that. Definitely just, you know, staying active, doing something. Uh, it's It's obviously really good, you know, not just for physical, but also for any sort of mental, you know, mindset and things like that. I think it really helps you clear your mind. Certainly. Yeah. I have a two year old also, so uh, he can get pretty physical as well. So <laughs> he'd be pretty active. That's great. And do you have any favorite books that you'd like to recommend? That's a great question too. I have a ton. Um, you know, I love, uh, I, I recently read the fountainhead, uh, which is an Ayn Rand book, which is a great book on architecture. Love that book. Um, recently, the Federalist Papers as well, which only took me—I don't know—I think it took me like a year to read that, uh, mm-hmm. which was which was a fantastic read. Um, recently, read a book, uh, uh, The Purple Cow and Influence. Yeah. Which was, those are two really good ones. Influence, one of my favorites. Yeah, I love that one. I'm reading um, uh, the Jeff Bezos book right now, The Everything Store. Uh, about halfway through that, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's yeah. just it's so great. Love that one. Um, yeah, I have a ton of them. Great. We'll have to check some of those out. And where, where can people find you online? Uh, well, you can certainly find us and the company on liquidframeworks.com. Uh, certainly have our company presence there. And then you can follow me on Twitter at tparigi, uh, T-P-A-R-I-G-I. Great. LinkedIn, last- probably more active on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. And last but not least, do you have any questions for me? Well, yeah, I, I think um, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on what you think the current event and current state of things right now with the market and the economy uh, might do to SaaS companies in the B2B space. Yeah, I, th- I think on very similar terms as you, right? I think overall people should not give it too much worry. At the end of the day, things are going to end up, you know, correcting and, and going back to normal, whether it's now or, you know, a couple months from now or maybe longer than that. Nobody knows, but if you look at historical data, things usually end up getting better. Uh, so I don't, I don't think people should worry about that. Like I said, one of the things that I was taking a look at was, you know, if, if, if you have the cash to kind of, you know, if you know that something's working right now, if you have the capacity to tweak your message a little bit so that it's more contextual to what people are experiencing, I think it's a great idea. And if you, like I said, if you have the cash to essentially, double down on advertising now kind of, you know, in a sense, very similar to the stock market, right? Things are low. So if you have the money go in uh, and just hold off for whatever kind of, you know, more, more decreases may happen, but eventually everything's going to start going back up again. So a little bit different with advertising though, but if you have money to advertise and you know, you know, what typically, what channels typically work for you, people are going to be pulling out from all of those. So double in if you can, spend the extra money and, and, and you'll probably see some gains whether it's immediately because you switched your message or whether it's, you know, in the long run because you created more brand awareness during the time where everyone was just turned off. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think it's a great idea. I hadn't really thought through the, um, the pricing component of some of the uh, cost per click and AdWords stuff is, is probably going to soften a little bit. So it probably is a good opportunity uh, to get some good pricing there. Yeah, so definitely. Cool. Great. Well, Thank you, Travis, so much for the time. I really appreciate our, our, our talk today. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you and, and, and keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch for the time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care. You too.